0: Hi, I'm Tom Pritchard, and joining me on the Marriage Champions podcast today is Dr. David Ferguson. David and his wife, Teresa, are executive directors of Relational Values Alliance and the Great Commandment Network, serving churches throughout the world with resources and training for deepening intimacy with God and others. He's also the founder of the Center for Relational Care. David's graduate work is in theology, counseling, and social sciences, focused on the great commandment principle and its impact on relationships, ministry, and culture. He's earned a master's in education from Southwest Texas University, as well as doctoral degrees from Oxford Graduate School, where he is a member of the Society of Scholars. He's developed the intimacy therapy model for counseling, and David is the author of numerous books. David and Teresa live in Austin, Texas, and have three adult children, nine grandchildren, and four (laughs) great-grandchildren. Wow, that's great. Um, Thanks for joining me today, David. Uh, You've been looking at all all your websites and you've got books packed with information on strengthening marriage and developing relational skills in uh, companies and communities. But let's start out with your background, uh, your journey, uh, (laughs) what brought you to where you are now and got specifically got involved in the whole marriage area.
1: Sure, great to be with you. Yeah, you know, uh, my wife and I will normally start with um, kind of a crash course in doing marriage all wrong. Uh, we got married in rebellion when we were 16 years old. Um, and wife would normally say tears at her wedding, but they were not tears of joy uh, out of our parents. And uh, so um, we uh, only right thing we did uh, kept going to school. I had one more semester of high school to uh, finish and. Uh, So we did that. Uh, Our little hometown in the panhandle of Texas actually would not let you uh, finish high school as a married couple, uh, lest you corrupt the other kids. So we actually had to move 30 30 minutes away to uh, finish high school, but uh, did that, kept going to school. Uh, But those first years were very challenging. Uh, I used to say five or six really challenged. My wife said no, at least 10 to 12 were challenged, but Uh, that's the way we kind of got started came to faith in our early 20s tom and uh that made a radical change but we didn't get off to a good start and yet uh god was faithful to draw us to himself during the jesus movement and began to make progress after that
0: so what uh what was your course then uh where did you think you wanted to be when you grew up so to speak
1: (laughs) that's a great question you know uh i was uh i actually uh had a physics professor uh, when I was a a junior in high school who um, really uh, uh, did not react to my rebellion, but uh, became a a kind of a mentor, uh, got a strange sense of humor, so he kind of had a strange sense of humor himself. So when I went off to um, to, uh, college, uh, the only thing I knew to study was physics, had no idea uh, what anyone would do, but that's the reason I studied nuclear physics in my first degree and uh, first a master's degree in computer science. So I was kind of a science nerd. And um, that's the way we uh, made our way from the Panhandle on Texas down to the University of Texas in Austin. And um, so that's where we came to faith. And uh, so we, it was the furthest thing from relationships in my initial education work, that's for sure. So,
0: So then how did you end up moving into the whole marriage space. You've written books and developed a theory or a a practice, a therapy practice.
1: Yeah. You know, after coming to faith, uh, it was obvious. uh, I asked my wife one night, probably 10, 11 years into marriage, Teresa, do you love me? And uh, she said, David, I don't feel anything for you. I just feel numb. Wow. And uh, that was a real wake up call. And Trying to figure out now that we uh, have a relationship with the Lord, how do how do we make this marriage thing work? And uh, so that challenged me to begin to think about um, something a little more relational. So that's actually what embarked me on uh, the uh, the thoughts of, of of trying to study marriage a little bit more, uh, read a lot. She and I read a lot of books on marriage, and um, and then ended up going back do another graduate uh, degree in, in uh, counseling. I like to say that in order to, uh, to f- try to figure my wife out, I went back to school. Uh, I only realized I was the one that probably needed to be figured out. So uh, that's actually kind of the journey that got us thinking about uh, more relational things. And so she and I started to uh, work on our own marriage, try to help a few other couples. We were doing uh, actually student uh, college ministry at the time. Uh, and those college students started getting engaged and then those uh, folks started looking to us for premarital counseling so we were having to immediately practice everything we were learning in our own marriage and uh, so that kind of got us off into the relational world and it uh, was a, was a great, uh, great journey obviously to begin to find the healing in our own home that we needed and then try to pass along a few of those uh, biblical principles to others.
0: So I don't know if we can talk about the intimacy therapy uh you know some of the things you've learned I mean what what did you see that you were doing wrong that led your wife to say she had no feelings
1: Yeah you know that that's a that's a great question you know some of that was very behavioral and practical you know like I had no idea what a good apology sounded like um you know um I actually, on our honeymoon, uh, one of the stupid stories we tell in our seminars was um, one of my uh, 16-year-old friends, Stanley, came knocking on our motel room door on our honeymoon and uh, wanted to go play pool. He and I played pool and drank beer all the time. And so I actually went to to play pool with Stanley on my honeymoon, left my wife asleep. Uh, No note. My wife wakes up. No husband. No note. She walks eight blocks home. So that's how we started our marriage. And I think my response when I didn't find her, I went to her house. Sure enough, she's there. And I think my first attempt, Tom had an apology was something like, I probably shouldn't have done that. Let's go. Uh, So I had no clue what apology was. So it was a lot of practical things like that that we needed to learn of what it meant to really experience godly sorrow and, uh, and really to admit wrong and to request forgiveness. So some of it was practical. The other part of it was really more, we've come to say theological. Um, and just one of those examples would be, you know, my subsequent studies, the idea that um, the first human crisis in the Bible uh, was not, as I had been taught in a lot of my uh, early faith journey, the first human crisis was not sin in Genesis three. It was actually aloneness in Genesis two. And that's a theological issue to kind of see people as both alone and sinful. And so to your question, a part of my journey personally was to realize that um, I had for a variety of reasons in a lot of different ways, left my wife uh, very, very alone in so many different ways. And uh, so that was an important wake up and that a part of what marriage is all about is the rest of Genesis 2.18, I will create for you a helpmate. And uh, so it seems like one of the first intended reasons for marriage from God's point of view is that uh, we not be alone uh, relationally. And so uh, that was an important part of our journey. So some of it practical, like how to apologize, uh, but also some of it very much theological.
0: So, you know, and you've developed something called, you know, intimacy therapy. Maybe talk a little bit about that and how that's practically works out in a relationship. Yeah. The emphasis on intimacy, for instance.
1: Yeah, sure. No, I really will. I'll give you a quick story. During my, 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 uh, Wife and I a journey uh, of uh, studying counseling and helping relationships. We had two psychiatrist friends that we had met, Frank Minerth and Paul Meyer. Some of my studies, they asked us to help with uh, Christian psychiatric clinics. So we helped start a number of Christian units in, in uh, Texas and uh, over into Albuquerque, New Mexico and others. But our specialty was working with uh, ministry leaders in crisis, so a lot. So a lot of the pain uh, of relationships and attempted suicides and moral and ethical failures and all those different kinds of things. But they all seem to root back in, uh, if you will, the not good of aloneness, that uh, we can be spiritually alone without a personal intimate relationship with God. But we can also be interpersonally alone. And uh, so that was an important journey for us during those years of working with a lot of folks in crisis and the idea of of what it is that removes aloneness is these deep, intimate, caring relationships. So uh, that's a little bit of the journey that led us into three interesting words in Hebrew for the word intimate uh, that uh, God begins to describe his relationship with us as one who knows us, that's one of the words, who lets us know him. That's the importance of the incarnation that he let us know him because of Christ and that he uh, caringly is involved in our lives. So this idea of knowing and being known and being caringly involved in another person's life is really illustrated to us uh, in our intimate faith with Christ. And it models for us how we can know and be known and creatively involved in the life of our partner.
0: How would you say that approach differs from other approaches to marriage counseling? Um, are, is there a one biblical approach, would you say? Or is there are there different ways to approach it, would you say?
1: Well, I, I think uh, if we were to Talk a little bit more in terms of counseling theory. Uh, there obviously is a number of theoretical counseling approaches out there. Of you know what's called cognitive behavioral. Of you know we've got to think the right things. We've got to behave the right ways. There's definitely truce in that. The whole world of what's called emotionally focused therapy. That we've got to learn to deal with emotions and develop compassion and empathy and so forth. And our approach has typically been that. All of these um, counseling theories that have been observed over a lot of decades, uh, in many ways, are simply us as humans observing what God's already written down in the scriptures. Um, And we ought to anticipate that the God who created us and has created marriage has written down in the Bible how to make it work. It would be a strange concept of God if, were to say, well, I created marriage, but I'm not going to tell you how it works. So uh, our premise has been a pretty uh, uh, solid approach on the sufficiency of scripture. So it just a matters of let's let's get deep enough into the scriptures to understand it. So with that in mind, uh, there's a lot of emphasis in what we do that definitely is related to taking thoughts captive and healing emotions and and developing a set of disciplines of behaviors. But on a real fundamental level underneath that, every counseling theory has a core principle of human motivation. Why do people do what they do? Um, So a behavioral therapist might say we're a little bit like Pavlov's dogs that we respond to bells and whistles. And, you know, that's the the theory of human motivation. Uh, Freudian approach might say that people are motivated by some weird uh, adaptation of sexual dysfunctions of some kind. I mean, there's all kinds of theories. So our theory of human motivation is that we are motivated out of a longing to relate to God and to other people. And that succinctly is what we have referred to as our view of the great commandment that It's all about this loving God and loving other people, and uh, that that core human motivation issue is in, in our approach really critical to understanding uh, people and relationships.
0: So, then practically, how does that work in a marriage relationship where maybe two, three, four practices or focuses a couple should have to? to to address that need.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think uh, you know several come to mind, just the idea of, of um, knowing and being known, let's just use that, uh, those two Hebrew words, uh, would be to say that that argues for, in many cases, a lot more of uh, open vulnerability than we normally have uh, in our human relationships. Uh, all of us seem to be pretty, you know, self-protected, uh, fearful of being real, fearful of being vulnerable. So one of the practical disciplines that my wife and I began to uh, uh, begin to practice was uh, we we started a kind of a weekly date night uh, that uh, you know I'm to have a to have a, a marriage staff meeting with my wife. That's what we used to call it. Uh, we'll try to get men to buy into the idea that i going to have a staff meeting with my wife. And uh, during that at least one time a week, there there was uh, an encouragement to both of us of let's be real, let's be vulnerable. And that meant that we were being honest about our hopes, our dreams, uh, to be able to say things, you know, like this coming week, I'm really looking forward to what? What are you looking forward to? I needed to hear that kind of thing from my wife. It's amazing the kind of conflicts you get into when you not been vulnerable about what you would like to see happen. Uh, and then it doesn't happen. Now you're upset. So I think the idea of just learning to be a lot more vulnerable uh, in a caring way, uh, you know, Ephesians 4.26 um, uh, talks about, you know, how important it is to uh, to speak the truth in love. Well, There are two ways to violate that verse, uh, to not speak the truth. Uh, so we don't let anybody know hey i would really and you know really enjoy uh you know dinner at home tonight but if if you don't do it i'm really upset so i'm not going to tell you or to violate the scripture uh, by telling you what i want but doing it in an unloving way you know like you you never fix any dinner around here anymore uh so uh, just learning to speak truth and love is is an example of how uh, practical the idea of caring connection works with and then one other and that is what we would sometimes say as um, you know in Acts 10 refers to Jesus went about doing good and so all across the pages of the Bible you have in essence Jesus startling people uh, with love you know so he's startling people with you know take up your bed and walk or you know open up your eyes and see and So this idea of what we call giving first to your partner, kind of startling them with, uh, for me, the first one, Tom was, why don't I just pick up the phone in the middle of the day and call my wife, Teresa, and just say, hey, I was just thinking about you. Wonder how your day's going. Just thought I'd call and ask. Well, the first time I did that, I think she said something like, who is this? You know? (laughs) you know or like what have you done you know that kind of thing so just this idea of startling uh your partner with some caring uh connection some caring uh, thoughtfulness uh, those are two ideas being vulnerable and then kind of startling them with love in some unexpected ways
0: what um i, I we'll talk about resources later as well but are there things that you guys have developed that couples could tap into to address those needs in their marriage or how do you, would you recommend a couple saying they want to grow more intimate and deepen their relationship? What would you recommend?
1: Yeah. Uh, great question. Uh, I think we, you know, some of them are more of these uh, kind of behavioral uh, discipline ways. And uh, so, uh, you know, we, we've put a lot of, you know, kind of little inventories and tools together of, you um, you know, a list of how you would most enjoy receiving love. Sometimes that is, you know, affectionate hugs. Sometimes it's caring words. Sometimes it's a home cooked meal. So a lot of behavioral, probably the one that has had the most traction uh, is the idea of uh, what we call each of us having very significant relational needs uh, that come out of maybe the one another's of scripture. So, We've just kind of done a biblical analysis of uh, encourage one another, appreciate one another, respect one another, support one another. So we've d- identified from the scriptures, 10 of those. Then we've done a little uh, relational needs assessment. So with a uh, number of questions, you can kind of assess which of those 10 are most important to me. And so uh, interestingly for me, my uh, top two, uh, almost juxtaposed, if you will, are respect on one hand, that sense of having ideas val- uh, validated and valued. And on the other hand is comfort. Um, even though I'm pretty heady kind of guy, uh, there's a compassion inside of me that when I'm disappointed or let down or hurting, I, I really do benefit from some caring, comforting words from my wife. Uh, Well, in the case of my wife, her uh, top need is is probably what we call attention. It's the Greek word care for somebody to take thought of her, uh, to notice her. You know, and it's not to point out that she's the center of attention, but it's just to take thought of her like in the middle of the day, call her and just see how she's doing. That's one of her top needs. And then probably support, uh, you know, bear one another's burdens. Well, I've been kind of the world's worst of, you know, putting dishes in a dishwasher or, you know, helping around the house, those kind of things. So it really helps a lot to just kind of know one another on those levels so that our marriage has been much, much improved over her realizing that it, it's helpful for me to sense my ideas are valued and and for her to be sensitive to those times when I might be uh, down to express compassion and very important for me, uh, to take thought of her, uh, to show her that kind of attention as well as look for those practical ways of, you know, I've got to where I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm kind of in charge of, of, uh, putting milk and sweetener in her coffee in the morning when I get mine, you know, it's like, that's, that's one of my supportive roles, uh, when it's time to go to bed. I'm I'm in charge of getting out the, the uh, you know the, the the pills for the evening, uh, for both me and her. You know, so it's like I've got some kind of supportive roles, but in the big scheme of things, they're really little things. But to her, they're huge. So um, I think that's another idea. So we've done a lot of work in relational needs and done several resources around that concept that we found really helpful for marriage, and for parenting, and just understanding the unique relational needs of each of our children. So long answer, but it's a pretty simple but profound way from Scripture of just living out the one another's of Scripture.
0: Is this similar to the five love language, which has kind of been popularized, or is this maybe go a little bit deeper than those items?
1: Yeah, uh, I think think, uh, those kind of love language things are are um uh, it's the it's uh kind of built on that same premise of knowing one another Uh so it's that same principle of knowing uh ours is again a, i've kind of got this strange thought that it's got to be uh we've got to have this sufficiency of scripture foundation so if i can't point to it in a bible verse uh then i i don't, I don't put a lot of stock into it so uh that, that would be an exception we, we're just kind of our team's always challenged to uh, go go find the uh the Greek and Hebrew uh words that uh, make that true so uh okay. we, we, we would go a little bit dif- a little bit deeper than 5 blade which is just because we think the Bible does
0: okay good well let, let's move on uh from marriage and as I've chatted with you in the past uh, I've been really intrigued by how you've taken the relational skills, uh, materials, and resources and moved it into the to the business world, companies. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about that. And is there uh, kind of how that happened? Uh, what moved you to move that way, just opportunities? Or was there something you saw strategically that could happen in the workplace that maybe doesn't happen, maybe in the mm-hmm. church world or... Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's probably an intersection of two things. Um, as my wife and I felt, you know, just really led to get um, additionally involved in the world of ministry and helping other uh, pastors and spouses to begin with, and then helping them help their churches. That whole world of what we call greatcommandment.net is a nonprofit um, a world of, of uh of a ministry, Uh, but then we had experienced by our late 20s more than our share of uh, nonprofits who existed on the basis of fundraising, Uh, and not that there's anything wrong with that at all. Uh, We support a lot of different ministries and charities personally, but we really had an impression uh, from, again, I go back to my sufficiency of scripture, impressed one day, both of us, actually, over the course of two, three weeks in a passage in First Thessalonians chapter three, where the Apostle Paul writes to the church to say, um, I would labor day and night, not wanting to be a burden to any of you. Hmm. And many believe that, you know, Paul, you know, had a side hustle, we would call it today. Uh, that he worked in order uh, to not be a burden. Thus, he could give away his time in ministry. That was a real impression to my wife and I. And so we uh, entered into in our late 20s with that idea that uh, that God probably wanted us at least uh, to work kind of in both of those worlds. So uh, we we began uh, a work. First of all, in a for-profit counseling center, so that's where the center for relational care actually came from. Is that we we started a counseling center, and and so we've been kind of entrepreneurial, if you will, um, us and all of our team, so that we we kind of cover salaries and all the overhead and expenses and the what we call the real world of work and uh, enterprise. Uh, in order that we can give away our time and uh, money uh, through Great Commitment Network. Uh, So it's been that kind of journey now for 35 plus years. And uh, so that's kind of how we got involved in it. So we have, again, done counseling centers. We bought and sold Christian radio stations over the years. And then about 30 years ago, uh, we had some friends who actually, several who came out of our work with couples who are in the business world that says, hey, I think some of these same principles, like people having relational needs, the importance of caring and connecting with one another, will work in our workplaces. So we have begun to do some relational training, leadership training, conflict resolution with uh, companies many years ago, and have continued that ever since. And then we kind of got involved in a similar way in, in schools, education systems. So. Um, uh, we like to say, as long as we're dealing with humans, they all have relational needs. You know, now if we get off into robots, they probably don't have the one another's of scripture. Uh, but if we're talking about humans in the workplace or in schools or wherever they may be, uh, there's some things we can learn. So yeah, we spend a lot of our time, uh, even as you and I are doing this podcast, we have about uh, 30 business leaders that are in our training facility, uh, next door to me, that uh, are here for three days and they're learning a number of business related principles.
0: Now, I'm, I'm kind of curious is this kind of unique, your approach to relationship skills in the workplace? Do other organizations, uh, are there other groups that would approach it that way? Uh, it strikes me as kind of maybe challenging. Most business owners probably don't think about developing relationships, they're thinking of profits mm-hmm. and you know, being successful in that regard, uh, you know, how does this, how does this work in the business world?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, that's a, a current uh, kind of challenge in a sense of what is the role of business uh, beyond making profit? Uh, what is it? And, you know, I think if I look back over the last 20 or so years, there, there was an emphasis uh, in our society to, you uh, you know, the importance of uh, companies having a social responsibility. So you saw a lot of companies say, well, I, I need to be involved in my community with helping the Boy Scouts or with cancer runs or that kind of thing. Uh, the most interesting thing Tom, over the last uh, two three years, particularly since the pandemic, I think, um, is this. We just attended uh, a uh, conference at uh, Harvard at the Center for Human Flourishing that is basically uh, doing a lot of research on uh, maybe businesses have two critical purposes. Fulfill your business and profit objectives, number one. And number two, help the flourishing and well-being of your employees in their relationships, their wellness, their vocational fulfillment, financial stability, Uh, maybe the the, the business is really kind of a two-headed goal. Let's uh, let's fulfill your business uh, profit purposes so you stay in business, but maybe the flourishing or thriving of your employees is just as critically important. That's where we've put our emphasis for 30 years, is that uh, a company could have what we call a, a business of putting people first so that the bottom line is not the only bottom line. Uh,
0: yeah, it seems like this is kind of a natural extension of your... Uh, does Does this help strengthen marriages? Is there kind of a subsidiary benefit to... Uh, I mean, obviously, you're helping them as employees, but does there kind of a... <clears throat> Obviously, what happens on the home front affects how they are working in the, how their job is going and whether their their productivity. But yeah, I'm I'm just curious. um, Do you see kind of a subsidiary benefit of affecting marriages and families through this business approach?
1: Yeah, for sure. As a matter of fact, you know, one of the one of the key things that I think has probably become problematic in our world today. Um, is that we try to live, people try to live kind of a compartmentalized life. You know, where my life at work uh, is different than how my life at home is, or my life online, or my life at church on Sunday. And uh, trying to live a compartmentalized life is uh, pretty anxiety-provoking and pretty stress-filled of you know what person am I supposed to be when I show up? And so uh, if we really look at it from a more uh, holistic human point of view of well-being, uh, what we're trying to do is to oftentimes help people in the workplace uh, learn how to live uh, as more caringly concerned people and then help them translate that back home to spouses and to children. And it's amazing how many spouses will send us notes and emails about uh, their gratitude for their partner having attended one of our three-day trainings, you know, of, you know, my husband needed this. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad he got that training. He's coming home to practice it. So we do a a, a lot of uh, work to make sure that everything we do in the workplace training is immediately translatable uh, back to your home relationships, um, whatever your marital status is, family status, uh, stage of life. So, and we find that's, uh, uh, we do a lot of work in business ethics. That's actually the best way to have an ethical workplace is that you have more human centered ethics. Your ethics are internalized in you. Rather than a set of rules posted on some wall somewhere, uh, that uh, you're claiming that's our ethic policy. Our ethics need to be internalized, and that, that happens when we're the same person uh, in every aspect of our life.
0: How does how does this work out practically? Or look in a company. Uh, you know, I'm thinking you've got companies with hundreds of employees, and you know, digging into relationships is a pretty intensive you know, process. How, how does this play out?
1: Yeah, it, it is. Uh, we always, uh, in our our work, the criteria is always we, we have to start at the top. Uh, so we have to start with, uh, you know, with leadership teams, executive teams, whatever you want to call them. Uh, we get a lot of inquiries of companies wanting us to come, I might say, fix their employees. And we don't we don't do any of that. We, so we'd be glad to start with you. <laughs> Uh, and so it's it's definitely, first of all, something that must be experienced and then lived uh, from the key leaders uh, so that the, the principle is it's more caught than taught. And so the, the workers need to uh, kind of experience if you've had effective training in some of these relationship principles, your, your employees should experience the following week or the next two weeks. Uh, hey my supervisor seems to be different they seems to be you know more great great grateful or they seem to be more appreciative you know so you begin to uh, you know work work in that way and then then you're kind of at a next level of training within an organization and then you take it more broadly we put together team meeting uh, ideas where we begin to facilitate uh, uh, leaders being able to take the principles down to their team levels in uh, different settings. So um, it, it's really a multiplication strategy. Uh, but once you live it, it's pretty easy to multiply. Uh, what's hard to multiply is when you're simply rationally trying to teach it without living it. But uh, you get people really living it, and it's uh, very attractive because who doesn't want their boss uh, whoever that is to be more appreciative and grateful and compassionate <laughs> I think that's probably something we would all uh, really uh, be grateful for
0: is this a tough sell to business in the business world or is there growing recognition that this is something they maybe should look at or it really vary from individual to individual
1: you know it it's um it it's definitely over uh, the last thirty years as we've done a lot of it, it it's Actually, a lot easier sell now than it was thirty years ago. Um, I think the pandemic has had some impact on that, of just the uh, lack of uh, what's called employee engagement. Uh, there's a lot of research that that uh, employees are not engaged fully in the mission of an organization uh, if they're not in caring connections with others in that organization. So I, I think there's a growing recognition. And then the idea that I mentioned of uh, uh, employees who are experiencing more uh, well-being and flourishing at work are more uh, engaged in that mission. And some of it's probably generational. Uh, there's a pretty set of interesting research from Gallup uh, recently that would say, you know, our, our younger, let's say, Gen Z uh Folks are looking for a career, a cause, and a community when they look for a job. Well, that's a pretty interesting set of criteria. That's, that's not what I was looking for when I got my first job. It was, I wasn't even looking for a career. It was like, you know, I want to get paid at the end of the week and hopefully in cash, you know. Uh, but I think our younger generation, this idea of I'm looking for a cause beyond a job. So it's like, what's the purpose beyond this uh, this company? And then community—they want relational connections in the workplace. So I, I think some of it is being driven by younger generations' awareness that there's more to there's more to a job than just a job. Yeah.
0: What is? Are you able to measure the benefits to a company, or is that is it kind of a, more of a qualitative than a quantitative? Changes you see in a company, which
1: goes this yeah. way yeah, no great question. Uh, you know pro, uh, the answer a uh, short answer is uh, given uh, enough time we you, we usually say uh, within three years, you should be able to see quantitative uh, impact in either or top line or bottom line. For example, uh, the easiest one to see most, most of the time in most organizations is uh, reduced turnover, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, we've seen that dramatically in many companies we work with. So that rather than spend an enormous amount of money in, in training and preparation for uh, incoming employees only to find that they quit after two years and, you know, hundred thousand dollars invested in their training uh, that uh, you can reduce that turnover rate uh, dramatically. Uh, And then secondly, uh, with the application of these relational principles um, outside the walls of the business, we call it exceptional customer experience. Once you begin to take these relational principles outside the four walls, uh, particularly of a for-profit business uh, you should see uh, some impact on the top line uh, of a company so in both of those cases we we definitely have quantitative examples of that happening um, in both uh, in, in both of those areas so definitely qualitative uh, you know there's a lot of instruments out there there's a great places to work instrument that's used in a lot of companies where you get qualitative uh Feedback on how our our employees experiencing us as a company culture. So we we and we and we recommend that kind of qualitative feedback from your employees at least maybe annually, biannually. But in addition to that, yeah, you know, some some good quantitative uh, feedback. And I'll just jump ahead to say that's a little bit of what's happening in a in a national and even a global flourishing project to begin to document more and more of that research that uh, s- that serving into the well-being of your employees is great for employee attraction as well as retor- uh, employee retention as well as employee engagement so those three things have tremendous financial impact employee attraction uh, in a real tight labor market that's a big deal and so employees begin to be attracted to a culture that is relationally attentive, and they are much more likely to stay. Uh, that's retention, and they're much more likely to be fully engaged in the mission of that company. So, a lot of good research that's affirming that it's uh, it's uh, it's good for business.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, just maybe turn a little different direction and how to encourage churches and businesses to engage in this area? Relational skills, marriage, family. Uh, there's a Barna survey out saying 85% of churches spend zero ministry dollars on marriage. Less than a quarter have active marriage ministries. So it communicates to me it's maybe not a priority. And then obviously in the business world, but how? How do you have any thoughts on how to engage churches? in a marriage family, would it be more on a relational focus or would you go after marriage and family?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. And we do a lot of that in the Great Connect Network faith world and and, uh, how we uh, position it is this. Uh, First of all, that we uh, seek to position marriage ministry, family ministry, uh, even workplace ministry first of all, is a part of whole life discipleship. Uh, in other words, we, we think you have to communicate to a pastor, to a church. Uh, marriage ministry is not some tangent aspect of what you ought to be doing. It's a part of making disciples. So when Matthew 28 talks about go forth and make disciples, disciples are not just people who have a John ten ten abundance in their faith and abundance in their Bible knowledge. But disciples are the ones who are enjoying an abundant set of relationships and their marriages and their families. Uh, so that in the first century, it says people took note that they had been with Jesus. Well, one of the best investments of a church is to make disciples who the world is noticing their marriage is much different than mine. Their family is much different than mine. So number one, we, we just have positioned what we call whole life discipleship. That God wants abundance in your faith, in your relationships, in your mental emotional wellness. The Bible has an enormous amount to say to taking thoughts captive and perfect love, casting out fear. The Bible has a lot to say about abundance in your calling. That's the word we use, vocation. And so there needs to be abundance in in my expressions in the workplace. So this is really critical for a church to realize what we've been talking about is not tangent uh, to what a church ought to be doing. Uh, too oftentimes church treat marriage, family ministry, uh, I say, much like on the same level as the handbells choir. And I don't have anything against handbells, but that's kind of marginalized. And and that's why treat pastors and churches have too oftentimes treated these core issues. That were God's creation of marriage and family. Man didn't think that up. God did. So, number one, position it as discipleship. And number two, um, that pastors and churches need to see that marriage, family, relational ministry uh, is good for outreach. And so, mm-hmm. we always position it as your church needs community facing ministries. Because uh, the people in our communities are hurting in their marriages. well, We need to show up with help and hope. Uh, it's just like Jesus showed up, you know, and he helped lepers in that day. Well, we don't have a lot of lepers running around in America, uh, but we've got a lot of hurting marriages and families. And so churches ought to be showing up in their community. Every month in this building, we will have uh, a Keep marriage Healthy workshop for eight hours, and it's filled with community people. These are people that are unchurched, and they're here learning biblical principles. They don't have the Bible addresses in them, but they're still biblical principles, and God's word works, whether you quote the Bible address or not. And they're here hungry for relational help and hope in their marriages and families. So two things, position to discipleship. Number two, make sure you have an outward-facing expression of marriage, family, wellness, workplace ministry, because the, your communities are needing it.
0: So when you approach the community, do you, do you take that? I mean, you have healthy marriages program, um, materials course. So you may not be explicitly biblical, but does that kind of open the door to a biblical message? Or I suppose if you came at them four square with the Bible, would that tend to turn people off? What's been your experience?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I just finished another, another call with some folks that are, they're working in the Middle East. And I, we use this example to say we're living today where what we need is a nonlinear approach to the gospel, which means most of us were trained with a linear approach that says, God loves you, sin messed it up, uh, Jesus came to fix it. So now get saved. And that's just not going to work. What we need today is a nonlinear approach where these unchurched people are in a setting where they're encountering God at the point of his word, and they're changed. And they end up saying, we're closer than we ever ever had been. We're we're more open with one another. We're feeling more connected with one another. And then they say, where did this come from? Well, that's non-linear. They've already said it worked. You're not having to argue about the Bible works. They've already said whatever that was uh, when I apologized to my partner, or when I express compassion, that worked, and now they say, "Where did it come from?" Well, it came from this book called the Bible that God wrote. Well, that's a whole different approach to how you present the good news of Jesus, and um, and, and that's what that's what's working. And so that, that's our approach to helping churches um, in, in a in a in a different world, particularly in kind of a increasingly post Christian Western world.
0: You know, my thought with churches is uh, the pastor is really key. Um, They're kind of the gatekeeper. And unless they have a vision for this, it's not going to happen. And I've always thought that a key may be working, encouraging them. I've I've kind of said, you know, pastors are too busy. They don't know what to do. They're a little bit afraid of controversy. If I get into marriage, I get into (laughs) cohabitation, divorce, gay marriage issues, singles might get upset with me and also their own marriages maybe aren't in the best place. Maybe that's the, the key one, but maybe I've thought maybe working with pastors, encouraging and supporting their marriage would sensitize them to potential mm-hmm. for their congregation and beyond.
1: Yeah, very much so. That's uh, you're, you're totally correct there. Uh, that's why I'm uh, years ago, 37 years ago, uh, part of the, the, and strategies of great Connect network are called Galatians six, six retreats just for ministry couples versus let those who are taught the word share good things with those who teach the word. So there ought to be times in the lives of those pastor couples where they who teach the word receive. So these are gifted two day retreats for ministry couples um, that Uh, God creatively with different partners, denominations, city networks. Our team has been supporting that now for 30 years. We've had 15,000 couples go through those uh, from 53 countries of the world. Uh, We will have probably 10 of those every year in different parts of the U.S. just finished two in Argentina last month. And so that is critically the place to start. Um, because that gives pastor and spouse adequacy in their own marriage, the testimony of, of additional intimacy and abundance in their own marriage. And they begin to catch a vision for marriage as discipleship and marriage as outreach. So great place to start. And, uh, you can find a little bit more about that at our greatcommit.net, um, uh, site. Uh, but, uh, that's exactly the place to start in our, in our work is, is definitely there.
0: Well, let's finally, let's touch on something uh, you shared with me recently um, about your community wide relationship skills work. Uh, You know, it's, you're not, it's not just the church, but it's not just business, but it's also the community. What's, what are you doing in that area and how's that working?
1: Yeah. You know, that, that's kind of the ultimate expression of this, uh, work called relational values.com, which is say, if you take these same set of relational principles, we've been talking about that we're talking about humans. They all have certain relational needs. When we are, uh, less alone, we're caringly connected, better things happen, uh, than without caring connections, bad things happen. You take that set of principles, and you begin to say, what if those principles were being lived out not only in the in a in a certain number of churches and the faith community, but what if those uh, same principles beginning to be lived out in homes? So now we're engaged in a lot of the nonprofits and and folks that are working with uh, folks in the community, and then in uh, the the workplace. Uh, so with Chamber of Commerce begin to offer these kind of relational skills to businesses. And then in the school system, uh, tremendous opportunities in schools today to be able to say increasing carrying connections among our students brings down stress, anxiety, brings down suicidal referrals. Uh, and so uh, once you put together the same set of principles at home, at school, at work and in faith, you can really see uh, community transformation uh, on an important level. So, yes, we've been uh, testing that in a number of metro areas with some great results in uh, everything from uh, better mental health among students to, uh, you know, better employee retention in the workplace uh, to uh, better, uh, more productive outreach by churches. So, yeah, that's a that that ultimately would be a great combination of everything we've talked about today, as it relates to faith communities, our homes and marriages, uh, workplaces, all the way up into our school systems.
0: Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, David, for being with me. Um, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, find out more about your work with marriage uh, relational skills in the marketplace, community, business. Uh, Where can they go to get more information?
1: Yeah, you know, the greatcommandment.net is the uh, ministry website, or they can email info at greatcommandment.net, or relationalvalues.com is where we do everything that relates to the workplace, schools, our uh, community-facing work with marriage and family, relationalvalues.com, or they can email at info at Uh, relationalvalues.com. Both of my daughters work with my wife and I in this area, and those info emails go directly to them and me. So we're a family team that's uh, pretty well connected to whoever might be looking for us. So feel free to check us out online or, or email us. We look forward to being supportive any way we can.
0: Well, uh, any final comments, thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with?
1: No, I appreciate your heart for uh, those things that uh, God has ordained. And he has ordained a relationship uh, with his son through Jesus Christ. And he's ordained this relationship. It's not good to be alone. Therefore, I'm going to create for you a helpmate. He thought up marriage. It was him who said, go forth, be multiply. Um, Children are gifts from the Lord. So families he ordained. And in Matthew 16, upon this rock, I will build my church. Uh, So he ordained his relationship with his son, marriage, family, the church. And all of us have a calling on our life, Ephesians 4 says. That plays itself out in our vocation. So appreciate your heart for all those things, including the workplace that God has created. So bless you for uh, your podcast. and Hope it's uh, extended widely. Uh, help a lot of people in a lot of ways.
0: Thank you so much for your time, David.
1: You bet. Great to be with you.